You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 71 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And just a reminder that this is our final episode of the GDPR Weekly Show for 2019. We're taking a break next Sunday for our Christmas break. Um, But we will be back with you as normal on Sunday the 5th of January. So I'd like to take this opportunity to wish all of our listeners a happy Christmas and a happy new year. And I hope you all have a very enjoyable time and look forward to speaking to you again in a fortnight's time. But for now, as always, I'd like to start with a shout out to our new listeners this week. And this week we have new listeners from London, Cardiff, Birmingham, Guildford, Bristol, Southampton, Portsmouth, Manchester, Swansea, Taunton, Colchester, Chelmsford, Ipswich, Derby, Oxford, Banbury, Doncaster and Reading, all in the UK. From Dublin, County Wicklow, County Galway, County Wexford and County Kerry, all in Ireland. From Paris in France, from Barcelona in Spain, from Amsterdam and The Hague in the Netherlands, from Dusseldorf, Dortmund, Bonn, Frankfurt, Munich and Berlin in Germany. From Copenhagen and Odense in Denmark from Oslo in Norway, from Skane in Sweden, from Warsaw in Poland, from Zurich and Geneva in Switzerland, from Milan and Venice in Italy, from Vienna in Salzburg in Austria, from Ljubljana in Slovenia, from Budapest in Hungary, from Belgrade in Serbia, from Bucharest in Romania, from Sofia in Bulgaria, from Moscow in Russia, from Jerusalem in Israel, from Nairobi in Kenya, from Delhi in India, from Northern Samar in the Philippines, from Tokyo in Japan, from Melbourne and Sydney in Australia, from Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, from Santander in Colombia, from San Jose in Costa Rica, from Kingston in Jamaica, from Toronto and Quebec City in Canada, and then in the USA this week we have new listeners from Pasco, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington DC, Phoenix, Dallas, New York, Philadelphia, West Palm Beach, Atlanta, Hartford, Rochester, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Columbus, Rochester, Austin, Tampa, San Antonio, Waltham in Massachusetts, and Honolulu in Hawaii. So, right around the world, a great big welcome to you, and as always, a big welcome to all of my regular listeners. There's some 10,000 of you now who listen every week around all around the globe. I really appreciate you giving up 30 minutes of your week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. And in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news that pharmacist doorstep dispensary has been fined £275,000 for a data breach. We have news of a potentially serious data breach at Brecon High School in Scotland. We have news of possible breaches in data security for Nest Home security cameras. We have an update on charities reporting data breach incidents to the Information Commissioner's Office, to the ICO. We have news of a data breach within the e-commerce system of online ladies wear retailer Sweaty Betty. We have a look at the real estate sector and how GDPR affects the sector. 
And then finally this week, we have news of a possible audio data breach at the Bank of England. So, a mixed catalogue of articles for you this week, and I hope that you find the show useful and entertaining. Merry Christmas. A London pharmacy has become the first pharmacist to be fined under GDPR. Uh, a pharmacy in London which supplies medicines to thousands of elderly care home residents will be forced to pay £275,000 for dumping half a million medical documents containing sensitive information outside of its stores in unlocked containers. It's understood that the documents included names, addresses, dates of birth, NHS numbers, medical and prescription information. The firm, Doorstep Dispensary Limited, and that's dispensary spelled D-I-S-P-A-N-S-A-R-E-E, just to avoid any confusion, so Doorstep Dispensary Limited, and the Information Commission Officer's report says that the firm had taken a cavalier attitude towards GDPR rules, which came in in May 2018. The company, based in Burnt Oak Broadway in Edgware, was found to have left approximately half a million documents in unlocked crates, disposal bags and a tribal box in a rear courtyard of the premises. Steve Eckersley, the Director of Investigations at the ICO, said... The careless way doorstep dispensaries stored special temporary data failed to protect it from accidental damage or loss. This falls short of what the law expects, and it falls short of what people expect. The ICO said the documents were not secure, and they were not marked as confidential waste, adding that some were soaking wet, indicating they'd been stored in this way for quite some time. The ICO went on to say that the data subjects can be very readily identified and linked to data concerning their health. Given the nature of doorstep dispensaries' business supplying medicines to care homes, it appears likely that a high proportion of the affected data subjects are elderly or otherwise vulnerable. While the ICO said that the number of people affected by the breach could not be confirmed, it estimated that the documents related to around 78 care homes. Regardless of the exact number of care homes involved, given the volume of documentation and the size of doorstep dispensaries' business, it appears likely that hundreds and possibly even thousands of data subjects have been affected, the ICO said in a statement. We've tried to contact Doorstep Dispensary for a statement, but they've yet to return our call. But if we do hear from them, we will of course bring you an update in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Parents and their member of the Scottish Parliament have condemned the exposure of the sensitive personal details of more than 50 pupils to more than 200 other pupils at Brecon High School in Scotland. It's understood that pupils left Brecon High School in tears after lists of those with mental health problems, autistic spectrum disorder, dyslexia and other issues were displayed to the entire years four to six cohort of pupils at an assembly supposedly called over exam preliminaries. The incident took place on Monday this week and it's understood that on Tuesday a number of teenagers affected had still not returned to school. The head teacher is understood to be holding a series of meetings with the parents of those distressed teenagers. 
what makes this data breach even worse is that some of those whose details were displayed had only just received medical diagnosis and others had chosen not to tell their classmates about their conditions. But now the entire fourth, fifth and sixth years have been told by teachers which of their schoolmates has depression, anxiety, autism and other issues that may affect their learning. For their part, the school have correctly reported the breach to the UK Information Commissioner and they have also reported it to the relevant professional bodies as they believe that the actions taken may have breached professional guidelines for teachers and others who work closely with children. For their part, Angus Council, the local authority responsible for the school, said that additional specialist support will be provided to affected young people as required. But one parent says the disclosure has had a devastating impact on their child and has raised bullying and harassment fears. And local member of the Scottish Parliament, Mary Dugan, is demanding answers. Dugan, who represents Angus North and Mains, said, This is a shocking situation that should never have occurred in what is a breach of the most private and confidential information that any no person would want shared. She went on to say that as soon as she was made aware of the situation, she contacted the Chief Executive of Angus Council, Margot Williamson, to ask as a matter of urgency what action was being taken to investigate the incident, as well as what engagement would be taking place with both the affected young people and their parents. She went on to say a data breach on this scale was quite frankly outrageous and should never have been allowed to occur. However, this isn't just about the data breach itself, but the impact on those young people whose names were singled out and broadcast to their peers. She concluded, I've been approached by parents of some of the young people at the centre of this and will be doing all I can to ensure that those people are given the appropriate support that they need and that steps are taken to ensure that this does not happen again. The General Teaching Council for Scotland said that teachers must treat sensitive personal information about pupils with respect and confidentiality and not disclose it unless required to do so by their employers or by law. The General Teaching Council for Scotland said they could not state whether any of the Breton High teachers involved had been referred to the professional body over this incident. But a spokesperson for the General Teaching Council for Scotland said, we expect any fitness to teach concern that relates to the school employment context to be raised with the school employer in the first instance. We know that most concerns will be more quickly and satisfactorily resolved at this local level and there's no need for them to come to us. When a concern is of a more serious nature, we know that the store employer will appropriately investigate the matter and ultimately make a referral to us where this is appropriate. Disclosure Scotland, which manages the Protecting Vulnerable Groups membership scheme governing those who work closely with minors and protected adults, said it cannot comment on individual cases. However, PVG Protecting Vulnerable Groups status required for teaching work can be revoked if a holder is found to put young people at risk of either physical or psychological harm. The rules cover reckless behaviour or incompetence that may cause someone to be harmed, even if that harm was unintentional. The ICO said they were just beginning their investigation, so couldn't provide any more comment at this stage. Yesterday, Angus Council said the head teacher continues to meet and speak with both parents and young people, and training on data protection will be revisited. A local authority source said a very small number of pupils are not found able to attend classes and would be given additional support. But one parent told us, we're devastated that this has happened, not just for our family but for others. For that information to come out is not just breaching confidentiality, 
it's breaching that young person's trust. In a school where you should feel safe and secure, they're not getting to feel like that anymore. Someone has got to be held accountable. I won't be happy if it's brushed under the carpet. It's like they hold our kids in contempt. It's understood that the names were listed on a series of slides shown to an assembly of the whole senior school. A parent of one affected teenager slammed the staff involved, saying anyone with a modicum of intelligence would have seen the first slide and put a stop to it. My child said, Mum, I feel like we've gone back in time, getting segregated and made to feel humiliated in front of other pupils. There are so many in the school no one knew about, but they know now. It's not good enough. We all know about data protection. For our part, we have to say that we're quite shocked by this incident. Um, not perhaps for the first slide, because you know, mistakes can happen, but to carry on showing the rest of the data and humiliating all these pupils in front of their peers, I think is totally unsatisfactory. So we'll continue to keep a close eye on the investigation of this as the ICO follows this through. And as we get news, which doubtless now will be in the new year, we'll bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Merry Christmas. Ring, the provider of home security solutions, has firmly placed the responsibility for data security into the user's hands rather than their own hands um, this week. Just a week after hackers broke into a ring camera in a child's bedroom, taunting the child and sparking serious concerns about Ring's security practice, it's now reported that over 3,600 Ring owners' email addresses, passwords, camera locations and camera names were dumped online. This includes cameras recording private spaces inside people's homes. Now this stunning new leak could potentially provide criminals and stalkers with access to view live video, live video feeds from inside and around thousands of Ring customers' homes, to see archived videos and to get the precise location of all the Ring devices attached to the compromised account by studying the orientation of the footage and location information attached to each camera. For their part, Ring have claimed that this attack was a result of credential stuffing, a technique where attackers gather usernames and passwords compromised in other data breaches, so, you know, not against Ring, but from some other company, and then try to use those username and passwords to see if they also work to get into Ring. Ring claims that the incident is in no way related to a breach or compromise of Ring security. I think the jury's out on that one, to be honest, but that's what they're saying. Anyway, to continue, Ring is attempting to place the blame squarely at the feet of their customers for reusing passwords, using weak passwords and not turning on two-factor authentication. But, I think it has to be said that Ring should deserve the largest share of the blame for every attack their users have suffered here because they should be ensuring that their users use two-factor authentication and not just having it as an option which someone might turn on or then, then they might not. Because if you do that, the chance of a good number of people won't turn it on. Now, as we said, we don't currently know where this Ring customer data that's appeared on the dark web has come from. But for the moment, let's take Ring at their word that this was a credential stuffing attack. That implies that an attacker tried tens or even hundreds or maybe thousands or tens of thousands of username and password combination on Ring's website, and Ring didn't even notice until they were alerted by concerned customers. Best practices in website security provide a few basic guidelines. First, 
Numerous subsequent failed attempts on the account should result in extra scrutiny for logging into that account. This may include limiting the number of attempts or locking the account until the owner can be contacted. Second, when a password is chosen for an account, this should go through some level of scrutiny. Checking that it's in a list of known compromised passwords and ensuring that the password is sufficiently complex. Third, account holders should be able to see and audit the list of devices that are logged into their account. And fourthly, surely for something involved with home security, then the company should be encouraging users to enable two-factor authentication, 2FA, in their account settings. Because, let's face it, ring cameras have extremely sensitive data. They're broadcasting live footage adjacent to and often within the home. This means that Ring should be extra careful with account information, not just employing basic account protection. And although Ring has two-factor authentication available for accounts, they rarely encourage its users to protect user accounts with the exception of one email that they send to users. And perhaps what is more shocking is that they don't even seem to have followed any of the other best practices which we described a few moments ago. And instead of giving users clear channels of remediation, they're placing the blame for the data breach firmly in the hands of the users. I think this demonstrates a serious weakness in the culture of Ring and its employees because surely if you're providing devices for home security, then the device itself should be as secure as possible. And it would seem that in at least these instances, Ring is failing. And we'd welcome a discussion with someone from Ring to put their side of the story so if you are from Ring or you're aware of one of the senior management at Ring, please can you ask them to get in touch with us via our email at podcasts at insurety.co.uk, that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and we'd be delighted to give them the opportunity to come on to a future episode of the TTPR Weekly Show and put their side of the story. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Charities reported 108 data breaches to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, in the second quarter of 2019-20. The ICO has recently published the latest data breach trends for the second quarter, which shows that charities reported fewer incidents in the same period last year when 137 incidents were reported. Most charity incidents were recorded as other non-cyber incident followed by a loss-slash-theft of paperwork or data left in an insecure location. Seven incidents related to data being emailed to the wrong person and eight to data being posted or faxed to the wrong person. Seven cases involved a failure to use blind carbon copy, BCC, on emails. I find those last three quite interesting because they're actually much lower than I would expect them to be and I suspect that's because what's probably happening is correctly charities are recording those incidents in their data breach registers but not actually reporting them to the ICO because they're not serious enough to report to the ICO. Uh, At least I'd like to think that's what's happening. If you're not sure about when you should use a data breach register or when you should be reporting data breaches to the ICO then please do get in touch with us via podcasts at insurety.co.uk that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk and one of our specialists would be glad to give you some advice. Over the quarter across all sectors, and so not just charity but business as well, over 3,000 incidents were reported, accounting with, which means that charities accounted for just 3.6% of all reports. 
The sector with the highest number of incidents was health, followed by general business, and that's followed by education. In one of our episodes coming up in January, we will be covering some of the other elements to come out of the second quarter's report from the ICO. Merry Christmas. Ladies activewear retailer Sweaty Betty has revealed that cyber criminals managed to insert malicious code into its e-commerce website in an attempt to capture customer card details during their checkout process. In an email sent to its customers, Sweaty Betty said it was recently made aware of unusual activity on its website. According to Sweaty Betty, a third party gained unauthorised access to part of its website and inserted malicious code, which they said was designed to capture information entered during the checkout process. Stolen customer data could include name, password, billing address, delivery address, email address, telephone number, payment card number, CVV number, that's the number on the back of the card, and expiry date. The affected customers were those who placed online or phone orders with Sweaty Betty in the period between Tuesday the 19th of November and Wednesday the 27th of November, a mere two days prior to Black Friday, when the retailer had big reductions across its range. In the email, Sweaty Betty said customers affected were those who entered new card details when checking out between the 19th and 27th of November, not those who'd made an order using safe card details or those who'd used PayPal or Apple Pay. The retailer said it was taking immediate action and had reported the incident to the police, as well as lodging the incident with the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. We spoke with a representative from Sweaty Betty who confirmed that the emails were legitimate and that an attack had taken place last week, but the website was now completely secure. They went on to say, we can confirm that Sweaty Betty has launched a comprehensive investigation following a highly sophisticated cyber security incident on our website platform. We work quickly to engage specialist technical security consultants to assist us with our investigation and to, we can confirm the issue has now been resolved and apologise for any inconvenience. The spokeswoman went on to say, we've taken all the necessary steps to inform those who may have been affected and the Information Commission Office has been notified. We take data security extremely seriously and the privacy of our customers remains our highest priority. Importantly, this issue has now been resolved and it's safe to shop at Sweaty Betty, whether online, by phone or in our stores. A number of customers have taken to social media to air their concerns, but as far as we can see, the company has acted reasonably quickly to close down the issue. They've reported it to the ICO, and doubtless will investigate in due course, and if we receive any further updates on this, either from the ICO or from Sweaty Betty themselves, then we will, of course, bring those to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Since our recent article about a real estate agent in Germany being fined under GDPR for failing to keep their data records in line with their data retention schedule, we've had contact from a number of you who work within the property industry asking for some advice on GDPR. Now, we're always happy to give that advice, and if you are in the property sector, or indeed any other sector, but particularly the property sector, and would like some information on GDPR, then please do get in touch with us. Drop us an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. And we will get back to you as soon as we can and um, look forward to providing you with the necessary information. 
But anyway, we thought we'd spend a few minutes in this podcast actually just talking a little bit about um, GDPR and how it affects real estate professionals or landlords. Because as a real estate professional or landlord, the chances are is that you're holding data about people, whether that is your existing tenants or whether that is future tenants, potential tenants, potential purchasers, uh, not to mention your own staff, of course. And so you very much fall under GDPR. And so it's important to look at how you're going to handle that data and ensure that it's GDPR compliant. And we're where the uh, area can be a bit murky. So let's lay out some key recommendations. The first thing is to simply check and map what data you process and to define your responsibility as data controller and make sure that the processing of personal data is based on lawful grounds. And again, if you get in touch with us, we can give you help on what lawful grounds you may be able to hold data under. The important thing then, once you know what data you hold, is to establish a specified, explicit and legitimate purpose for the collection of that data. It's probably worthwhile appointing a DPO, a data protection officer. You know that either internally, but if you're only a small uh, property company, it's probably not cost efficient to you to appoint somebody internally. So you can also appoint a external data protection officer, and indeed that's one of the key services that we provide. Um, the role of the DPO is to obviously deal with any data breaches, but also deal with data privacy impact assessments, to measure risks, to evaluate your third-party suppliers, to make sure that you are compliant, carry out an audit once a year or so. And you can also do your own part in helping with that by making sure that you only engage with companies who you are satisfied are putting data privacy and security first amongst their concerns. Next thing you need to do is to make sure you have a valid data processing agreement signed with third-party vendors that process personal data on your behalf. Because in the event of a data breach, this can help mitigate legal responsibility. You also may want to carry out a data protection and impact assessment when the data collection may result in high risk to the rights and freedoms of natural persons to individuals. What you must also do is make sure you inform users that's your employees, and also make sure you employ you inform your tenants, assuming you have tenanted properties, of what you do with their personal data, what grounds you hold it under, for what reasons, and what security measures are taken to make sure that their data is kept secure, and very importantly, as the case from Germany highlighted, to make sure they know how long you are going to retain their data. You should also make sure that the tenants and your employees are aware of their rights under GDPR, i.e. the right to be forgotten and their right to data portability. So the first step of that obviously is make sure you understand your obligations under GDPR, some of which we've covered in the last few minutes, but obviously we'd recommend as well that you have uh, proper training on GDPR within your company. If you've not had that already, then please do get in touch with us as a matter of some urgency and we will arrange that for you. Because as you will have seen from the case in Germany, that failing to comply with GDPR can be expensive. And indeed, just last week, a French company was fined 400,000 euros for failing to comply with GDPR, a French property company. So it just goes to show that it's a sector which maybe the uh, Information Commission officer, Office and relevant organisations in different countries are focusing on. If you only deal with 
residential property, then GDPR most definitely applies to you. You might think, well, that's fine, we only deal with commercial property, so GDPR doesn't really apply to us, but I'm sorry to tell you that it does. Um, so whichever sort of property you deal with, then you do have a requirement to make sure that you are GDPR compliant and that your processes are GDPR compliant and that you readily audit any third-party vendors' processes and subcontractors to mitigate the risk against your business. And part of that is the actual security of your data and making sure that not only is it backed up, but that you have secure password mechanism in place. Hopefully you have two-factor authentication in place. And also think about physical security of your office. You know, how easy is it for someone who doesn't have authorised access to gain access to the office and hence maybe gain access to filing cabinets and data about your residents or employees. So something to think about there over Christmas for you if you're in the real estate sector. And I'll say if you'd like us to provide you with one-to-one -one advice then we'd be delighted to do that. Merry Christmas. And we finish this week with news that the UK's financial watchdog has launched an investigation into a security breach at the Bank of England that allowed hedge funds early access to an audio feed of Mark Carney's market-moving press conferences. In a breach casting a shadow over the Governor Mark Carney's last few weeks at the bank before he stands down at the end of January, Threadneedle Street confirmed that its backup audio feed for press conferences had been misused by a third-party supplier. Following a rapid internal investigation at the Bank of England, after the breach was first uncovered by the Times newspaper, the central bank said it referred the matter to the Financial Conduct Authority, which is now investigating the incident. The issue is important because it raises questions over whether hedge funds managed to profit from accessing market-sensitive information seconds ahead of others. The breach comes after years of efforts to prevent misconduct in financial markets in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. The Bank of England said that the misuse of the backup audio feed which is up to eight seconds faster than its main video feed, was wholly unacceptable and had been done without the bank's knowledge or consent. The video feed is the main vehicle for broadcast in the press conference and is handled by financial news and data company Bloomberg. The third-party supplier was reportedly connected to a market news service that charged clients between £2,500 and £5,000. The bank did not identify the third-party provider, however, Statisma News, a little-known assets-based company that sells live streams of central bank press conferences, posted a statement on its website in response to questions from the Financial Times. The company's directors are listed as Philip Wand and Tom Sillance, both of whom are also directors of Encoded Media, a video services provider to businesses based at the same address, which lists government departments, the NHS and the Royal Navy amongst its customers. We've attempted to contact is my news for a comment but we've not yet received anything other than the statement which they put out on their website. The statement said Statisma is a technology company specializing in the delivery of publicly available audio content. We do not carry out embargoed information and we do not release information without being first being made available to the public. It is impossible to hack or eavesdrop any live public event or press conference, any such suggestion is dismissed out of hand. However, Statisma had tweeted back in April that it could provide customers with feeds up to 10 seconds faster than watching them on live TV. 
including for press conferences held by the Bank of England, the US Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank. The European Central Bank said on Thursday that since September this year it offered a low latency, or minimal time delay, audio feed to address exactly the issues that were in the news today. It went on to say, therefore, it doesn't make any sense for anyone to use commercially offered solutions because the solution we offer is the fastest option available and it's free to everyone. It's understood that the Financial Conduct Authority is also investigating whether Statisma had received advanced copies of speeches and other market-moving publications. Another company thought to be involved, called Livestalk, said in a statement, we have never hijacked anything, we have no access to infrastructure at the bank. We have nothing to hide or be fearful of regarding the Financial Conduct Authority and will happily assist them in any way possible. The breach will be of a particular embarrassment to the bank given its recent focus on the security policies of the companies it regulates. The Financial Conduct Authority is likely to focus on whether the information accessed early constituted inside information and then whether the managers of the investment firms involved were acted with propriety, a senior regulatory lawyer said. The investment managers involved could potentially face personal regulatory action. Danny Blanchflower, a former member of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee, said that the Bank of England's Chief Operating Officer should resign immediately in the wake of the breach. Joanna Place, who reports directly to Charney, has had responsibility for the bank's information security since her appointment in July 2017. Charney should be absolutely furious, Blanchflower said. The person in charge of the bank's security should be quitting within the next hour. Did they know this was being done? Did they know that someone was charging? And if not, why not? The Bank of England has declined to comment on the call for Joanna Place to resign. If we receive any more information on this over the Christmas period from the Bank of England, we will of course bring it to you in the first episode of the GPL Week to Show in 2020, which will be on Sunday the 5th of January. Until then, we wish you all a happy Christmas and a happy, prosperous, and healthy New Year. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk and I look forward to speaking to you again same time, same place next week. Have a good week everybody and remember to keep your data safe. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.